Welcome to Curious Coaching, the Sport Northern Ireland podcast for coaches who are driven to explore new ways, thirsty for new ideas, and passionately curious about how they can maximise the power of sport through great coaching. The podcast that seeks not to answer coaching questions, but to provoke them. podcast uh, with your host Michael Cook and myself Simon Toole. Uh, today we welcome Owen Mooney um, from Dublin GAA who is a learning and games development coordinator there. Uh, Owen also hosts the I Coach Kids podcast um, and is currently studying for a professional doctorate uh, with a research focus on play which I'm sure we'll get into as we go. So Owen um, you've, you've been around a few different roles and things now give us uh, a, a quick history of your, of your coaching journey. Hey, thanks for that. Thanks for having me on, lads. Um, it's a pleasure, and again, always good to chat to the two of you. So, my coaching journey started actually with um, my first coaching qualification was with the IFA um, Mini Soccer Leaders Award when I was about fifteen in nineteen ninety eight. Um, with uh, Trevor Erskine ran the course, um, and I had had Trevor before when it was at summer camps when I was younger. So, um, he made a big impression on me in terms of just let us play. He picked the teams to let us play. And then he would ask us questions as we were playing. So that kind of always stuck in my head when it was growing up. Um, I had always an interest, obviously, in daily games and football, soccer. I hate the word soccer, but obviously from my time in New York, I kind of have to say it sometimes. Um, but football was always my first love, and it still is, even though I've been working heavily in the GA for the last 15 years. Um, football has always been my first love, mainly because of what it was when I was younger, when I was playing. It was all play. It was pick teams, have a go. Um, there was no line drills or anything like that. It was very much touch, very much ball focus, very much child focus. The coaches that I had when I was younger, David Wheeler, Lisky Rovers, um, when I was growing up and obviously all the football that I played leading up to that. Um, then the GA was a little bit different. Um, I enjoyed it again. Um, enjoyed playing GA, but again, it was a little bit different in terms of what the coaches were asking us to do. It was very much technical, very much line drills, laps for a warm-up, etc. And again, that always stuck in my mind. The reason why it's probably still uh, my first sport is because I can detach myself from my work to my hobby. Um, and GA is a, still a hobby, but again, it's still my work. So that detachment is always very important to me. Um, completed my qualifications in basketball, athletics, and gymnastics as well for um, my uni applications. And I was always coaching 14 year olds and upwards um, because of my age, it was 18, 19. So um, children, especially six, seven, and eight year olds and below, kind of scared me a little bit <laughs> because I didn't know what to expect and I didn't know if I could handle it and I never went near it. However, when I started with Ulster G in 2008, that all changed. Um, the in-service that we got, the help and support that we got from Terence McWilliams, Eugene Young, Jeremy Morrison, and my colleagues, as well as colleagues in the IFA, because it was part of the education programme, was exceptional. And that programme had me coaching in schools for five and six-year-olds. So I had done full circle and loved it. And I still coach that age group to this day. I now coach sixes and eights as well as adults and I won't go above that um, because there's obviously a lot of similarities and differences but I can have a go and I can try new things and then 
uh, got seconded to Ulster Ladies Gaelic, so more involved of coach development, mentor, and um, club development, and then back to Ulster GA. And again, it brought in, even though we were in schools, that was our main remit, coach development and club development in the evenings was very important. Building school club links, community links, etc., and assisting and developing coaches. I think got an exceptional opportunity to move to New York again to work for the GA, um, Rockland GA in Pearl River. Um, and my coaching there was more to do with workshops and assisting the coaches. The club did not want me to take any teams, which was grand. That suited me fine. However, six or eight months into the role, I started to think, okay, well, here's where we might change this. Here's where I'll bring in this kind of scenario and this plan. And one of them was for the under sixes. Um, I helped the coaches in under sixes. And plus, because I was the paid employee, it was my first time and I could get to know the parents. I could get to know the children right at that foundation level. However, the club didn't want me getting involved the under sixes because they didn't want me getting involved in the team. I had to do a presentation um, for the executive committee to tell them and to show them why I wanted to get involved in the under sixes. And so we can't, it's a team. I said, listen, the under sixes are not a team. They are a crowd of lunatics. They are looking at the sky, they're picking worms, their nose are running, you're tying laces most of the time. So they're not a team, they're a group and they're my own, they'll be my under six crew. So the club said yes and started coaching the under sixes, but also bringing on a conveyor belt of coaches. So that was the first conveyor belt of players going the whole way up to adult. That's what we wanted. That was the development opportunity development plan. Same with the coaches. It wasn't just about the children. They were the guinea pigs. It was about getting parents in, training the parents, um, interacting with them and getting them involved on the journey. And they weren't separate to the coaches. They were there as a team with the coaches. Um, and it was brilliant. And again, what we wanted to do, and we'll go on a little bit later on, um, is kind of why we did that. It was all about development. And again, in New York, it's very different in American sports and the culture is very different than here. But what we wanted to do was create a community that was already there. But again, that was all about development of the person. And whether that was the coach or the under six coming in, that's what we wanted. Um, came back from Ireland and served with Special Olympics as National Coach and Sport Development Coordinator. A fantastic role. The people involved, the clubs, the athletes, the coaches, the volunteers were phenomenal. I was only there, unfortunately, for about eight months, and then I got my current role with Dublin. Um, so now my role is all related to coach development, learning, resources, research, and it marries very nicely into my own research um, in terms of my doc prof at Leeds Beckett. So anything I try, I can either try it during the day and work. Um, working with our GPOs going forward, or I can try it out with the under sixes or with the adults. So everything is related and um, everything is, can help me, but also can help my research and hopefully can help my own. Um, even though I do sessions with under sixes, with minors and with under 16 groups for clubs and counties and development plans and club plans, I only work with under sixes and adults. Um, and again, if I had to make a choice and said this and I thought about it a couple times, reflected on why, is I would always go with under sixes. If I had to make a choice between under four, five, and six year olds or adults, the under sixes would win all day because it's brilliant crack. It's class. I love it. And again, there's not as much um, 
it's not so much about technical skills, it's about creating that love and engagement for sport and physical activity and creating a connection with them in that environment so that they do have a love going forward whenever they do leave you, that they're always coming back. And that's what we want. And Adam, thanks for that. So there's a load of stuff to pick up on there, which I think we will do as, as we work through this. Certainly my hardest hour of the week is our nursery group in our hockey tots. So I'll definitely have to pick your brains about that when we get into a little bit of a section around play. But I'll hand over to Michael here. I know he wanted to pick up on some stuff um, around that, uh, the cultural element you, you talked about between USA and America. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a wonderful opportunity to coach in, in a different country or in this case, a different continent. Um, and, you, and you mentioned the potentially the so, subtle or not so subtle differences in, in culture. Um, how, how did you experience that um, that different culture when you first went over there? It's a difficult one because we all have this bias with what American sport is like and the culture of American sports. And some of it is um, true. Other parts of it is not true. And again, it depends on context. Um, now, I would have found the positives first would be the amount of sports. I mean, I love sport and I was in my element out there, not even with Gaelic games, excuse me, soccer, basketball, um, athletics, but then I loved American football and baseball. Um, I got into lacrosse because of the hurling aspect as well and the um, differentiation and transferable skills of that. But being there for about six or eight months and again, stepping back and reflecting and observing on what was happening, not only in Rockland, but also in other sports, um, was very adult-centered in a lot of ways um, and very much extremely competitive. And again, we're all competitive. Listen, I am competitive. Even under sixes are competitive. But a lot of it was very much to do about winning. And again, there's context within that. It's A lot of it has to do with scholarships, especially in the big sports, you know, with colleges, um, because university, a lot, of the, a lot of the time, is very expensive. So you can get a full ride scholarship and a lot, and some of our guys with Rockland did that through lacrosse and basketball and football, which is great. Um, some will get a part scholarship. So part of their combination will be paid or resources or whatever. And again, that puts pressure on the child, but also the parents as well, because the opportunities are there and can you grab those opportunities? And the difference then is if they don't get a scholarship, majority of the time at least 70 80 percent and again this is anecdotal for me but through what i've seen is there's in ireland here if you're 19 20 when you finish college you're going to play football you're going to play basketball you're going to play tennis there is clubs there for you in america it's a little bit different um when you finish college like unless you're playing gillick games or pick up basketball very rarely are you playing pick-up games in American football or touch football. You'd be playing with your family maybe, but it's not organized, um, which is great in a sense as well. As well. However, the sports-centered and adult-centered and underage um, and sometimes money-centered um, in terms of travel football, travel American football, like parents pay a lot of money. And um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, when he was at LA Galaxy, he'd done an article about how much travel soccer costs for his kids now, he can afford it that's fine but he couldn't believe how much money it was and again when you're thinking about well you're paying this money but then what do you expect out of it 
you know, so the love of the sport, I find, would probably be negated for the winning aspect. Um, and what we try to do in Rockland, and again, because the children don't get scholarship for Gaelic games, they still enjoy playing with Rockland through Gilligan because we had the community, we wanted to build a connection and we wanted to improve them. Um, and we wanted to have them playing with Rockland, but also what we want them to do was play multi-sport. And one of my friends and um, one of the fellows who the children love, the club love, is originally, his family's originally from Monon, Pat Murray. He was a, a kicker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the New Orleans Saints, and he plays Gaelic now for Rockland again. Um, but he was always around the club he would go to his alumni, he's a three-time All-American at Fordham University, and I got him in for a conference because what we were finding was, because the children were playing so many sports, and I was all for that, loved it, but the children, wanted, the parents wanted them to play Gaelic games all the time. Don't worry about soccer, like play Gaelic, this is your sport, this is your culture. And I was like, no, listen, to give them a good opportunity for scholarships, multi-sport is the way to go. In term, and again, in terms of injury prevention, and my wife's a physio, and she spoke at that conference as well about multi-sport and the benefit it has. But Pat, he gave his experience as a professional athlete. Um, and when schools and colleges are looking for scholarship potential athletes, if you, Michael, are football and you're the top of your top of your tree in your county in your state in the country even you're going for all american but all you play is football and simon i know simon plays field hockey so simon plays field hockey lacrosse and athletics and he's very good at all three of them not great at all not great at any one of them but very good at all three the coaches will weigh that up and seven eight times out of ten they'll go for simon um, because he's more well, they would see him as a more well-rounded athlete um, and a more well-rounded individual, not only in terms of um, physically, but in, through, in, through injury prevention, but also in terms of um, different tactical, his tactical awareness for those three sports, the transferability of that, et cetera. So that kind of resonated with a lot of parents um, and it allowed us then, for some of our athletes who were playing a lot of sports, um, one in particular, um, his name's Kieran Dalton. He's actually made his debut with the New York Red Bulls second team. He is a goalkeeper for the New York Red Bulls second team. He's also a midfielder in Gaelic football in Harlem. And you both know how intense that can be, but how that helps him as a goalkeeper. And he's also, because basketball, it's probably his favourite sport. So in terms of handling his, uh, being able to take a tackle and being able to come out and win a ball, Goalkeeping is very easy for him because of the throw the three sports as he's played. And what his father and his family were very adamant in is that he still played Gaelic football in Hurling. Um, and what we, we thought, okay, well, that's great. Come to the matches, but there's no need to come to practice as much because that going to practice for the New York Red Bulls is more important because of the opportunities that he can get from that. Um, but again, after that conference, it made a big difference because the parents and coaches and children sat up and thought, okay, we need to change things here. Um, the similarities between both cultures is, uh, is evident in ways, but probably the um, thing that it would take in terms of Ireland and the UK um, is that coaches here are more happy and willing to share ideas. Um, in America, it's a little bit different. Um, but again, 
in America, the coaches are thought of like teachers, like doctors. The professionalization of coaching in America is great. That can have its advantages and disadvantages. However, the uh, coach in America comparison to the coach here is very different. You know, here um, in Ireland, the UK, and in parts of Europe as well, and Sergio has done a lot of work on that as well in terms of professionalization of coaching and um, the social element of that and how coaches can be thought of better in terms of the society that we live in, etc. And that is very much a huge advantage in America because basically if the coach said it and the teacher said it, that's it, it's gospel. And again, it has that that has its disadvantages and advantages depending on the understanding of the coach in terms of again the understanding of themselves, the athlete, etc. So um, one of the things that we want to try and do and Again, I would find it better here in Ireland, the UK. But again, it happens in America as well as the person first, you know, creating that connection, that environment is, is so important. Um, and one of the things that, you know, we always, we always kind of want to bring is that sport is meaningful and the opportunities are there. But again, things have to be kept in perspective a little bit and keeping things in perspective at times, it's easier to do that in Ireland, UK, than it is in America. But again, context is key on that. Sure. Um, when, when I hear you speak, you're, you're very passionate about coaching. And I know you a long time, and I know you're passionate about coaching. But if I just met you uh, 15 minutes ago, I would have to say the same, the way you talk about it. What's making you curious um, in the world of coaching right now? <laughs> um, Probably right now, it has to do with my research in terms of play, um, the language that coaches use. And through my job with Dublin GA, we've got Nick Winkleman uh, on a webinar, but we're talking about the language of coaching. Um, and that is very much, I'm very much curious about that for under sixes, for adults, um, how you talk, um, the, your connotation, your voice, your tone, your voice, etc. But also how we can communicate better with our players, our athletes, or and people in general, it doesn't have to do with coaching. Like a lot of it, it's built relationships, and that's the biggest thing in making practice meaningful. Um, but what I you know, always always think back on, and I'm always curious about, is is trying to help athletes and trying to help players and trying to help the person, the holistic approach. And I like trying new things. And I'm always looking at how can I try this and how would that work in my session? Would that work in my research? And I'll have a go at it. Now, most of the time, it could fall fall around um, my ankles and it's, it doesn't happen. That's fine. I'll reflect on it. I'll make sense of it. And again, that has a lot to do with my research and in terms of the support that we get from Leeds Beckett, from Andy Abraham. Um, looking at understanding expertise, not only in coaching, but also in our work. And also, again, in our family life, um, where we fit in and um, how things how things work and why we do things and what's your way. And I'm always a big thing about that is why are you doing this? What is the point? What do you want to get out of it? Um, and then looking at, again, reflecting and sense-making. And that has got me really curious because reflecting in practice is very difficult for me and I'm not at that stage yet 
um, reflecting on practice, again, I'm a lot more uh, a lot more used to it and I enjoy it. But again, it's very difficult, especially trying to be open and honest as much as you can. But what I've started to do now is reflect not only my coaching, but how I talk to people, um, how I talk to my wife, how I talk to my family, and why I did a certain thing. Um, what was the point of that? And again, just looking for different insights on why I do it, how I do it, and what can I do to change it and make it better. Um, but again, coaching, coaching is not ABCD. It's multifaceted. It's so complex. Um, but it's a vocation, and I love it. Um, and again, I love it because of the connections that you make from it and the people that you meet. And players always talk about the friends that they meet, but it's the same in coaching. You know, if you're open and honest, and you know, I will, I'm a complete magpie. Like I will pick at things and I'll go, I'm going to try that out because Michael Cook did it and Simon Tool did it or Sergio did it. Um, but I also like to get feedback. Um, so I'll watch myself, I'll video myself, but that's very difficult to even hear my voice. I sound okay when I'm talking. However, when I listen back, it's completely different. It's like a new, different person is talking. Um, so even that you, is you difficult. Have, you have experienced that on the, on the podcast as well. Yeah. Um, no, definitely in terms of curious now will be more research, but definitely around building an environment, culture and the language of coaching. Fantastic. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned um, reflection in, in practice. Um, and that's something that we, that we focused on on, on, on the last uh, podcast with uh, the Think Aloud program with, with Dr. Yeah, that's Amy yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so just moving on there, you've obviously, we, we, we like to talk on, on the podcast about how people learn and how our guests have um really implemented learning and, and the most beneficial learning experiences for them. You've mentioned a couple of things there with regards to the academic side of things. You've just mentioned trying and testing things. What has been the most significant uh, learning experience for you up to this point? Oh, probably have to, I'm thinking about, I have to go back probably to what I talked about earlier with uh, having not having worked with people, children from 14 down and then going into the job with Ulster GA. Ulster GA. Um, the in-service that we got from Ulster GA was phenomenal. Six weeks before we went into schools, when we got the post, we were at Lockery College for six weeks. Um, all of us, there's about 28, 32 coaches, all Ulster GA coaches, and we were led by the Imperial Terence McWilliams, and I know you two know him very well, and a lot of people listening will know him very well. But we were constantly learning. We were being challenged. We looked at obviously the fundamental movement skills because in the program, the Department of Education program was two remits to improve the confidence and self-esteem of children in PE lessons and improve the confidence and self-esteem of the teachers to take those sessions. Now again, most of those to do with the fundamental movement skills, but looking at then the family games, but also thinking about behavioral strategies and entering of teachers and cross-curricular links came in and coaching as a team um, because you were working with a teacher um, mentoring again as I talked about but creating that school club community link and that was phenomenal this went on probably for about four years five years at least when the schools were off we were in in-service either Lockery College or in the athletic grounds in Armagh and the amount of work we did in terms of lesson plans the Gaelic start manual um, but we were all involved in it and again Terence would give us a session and say, Owen, 
have a go at this. And then he'd go whisper to you, Michael, and say, Michael, you, I want you to mess up here. See how Owen, Owen reacts. You know, now, we got free reign in that. So there's been times that, and it happened a couple of times, that um, one, of the, one of the coaches who Terence had spoke to, to misbehave or do it, everyone, would just pop everything down, throw everything, and then just start crying for no reason. No reason at all. So how are you gonna how are you gonna um, react to that, and how how are you gonna fix that, or what are you gonna do? And during those six weeks, we were thinking, oh, so that's not gonna happen. Everything's fine. So the teacher <laughs> look after that. <laughs> but we got our eyes completely open. So in terms of preparation um, and having us thinking in a completely different way was, and again, it's something that I always go back to. And again, the help and the support that we got from that was excellent. Working with the IFA coaches as well, we would come together in service with the IFA guys, um, which was brilliant as well because we helped each other out, we supported each other, we done fun days together again because it was more of education. That was one of the remits that we had to come together, um, coaches in our region, um, but also the like sport and I conferences that you guys would have done at um, Muslim University, and that's where I first um, got into meeting Sergio Larbrosial, who's good friend and mentor now but also my PhD supervisor um, Richard Cheatham for example still stayed in contact with Richard and that's 10 years going now um, similar to Simon and obviously later on Michael with yourself and David Smith and um, you know so that element of always learning creating those connections those relationships like a, a community of practice and critical friends in a way and critical support network you know because we can all say oh that was great that was brilliant but that's not what we want. We want to improve and, you know, having people we trust and being a sounding board for other people as well is, I find that hugely beneficial to me because if people come to me and want to learn something or want me to help them out, then I am going to help them out, yes, but I know I'm going to learn something. And that's guaranteed, whether it's um, a new way of doing something or whether it's a tidbit of information that they've given me and I say, oh, oh that's interesting, let me try that. Um, but again, it all comes back to asking questions. If you don't ask, you don't get. The worst somebody can do is say no. Um, have a go at it. Brilliant. Thanks, Owen. So taking you back now to thinking about your, well, thinking about your own coaching, essentially. So one of the questions we have asked a few coaches on here, and I always find it quite difficult because coaches tend to, I think, find it easier to tell us what they're maybe not so good at times, but... <laughs> We've asked people about their superpower, about their coaching superpower. What's the superpower that you bring to your coaching? Uh, probably my, I, and I actually do this in the presentation. So I actually show, and you would have seen the, anybody who's seen the Sport and I uh, webinar with myself and Richard on play would have seen my picture of a male and female superhero. Um, so in that sense, I, I asked him to coach the person, but my own kind of superpower would probably be, I love chaos. Um, uh, I really enjoy organised chaos and the game that I'm involved with in terms of you know, football, GA, it doesn't matter what sport, team sport, it's chaos. So I en embrace chaos and that would probably be my main superpower. However, outside of that, I'm very open with OCD. I like structure. I don't like chaos outside of coaching. So I'm a bit of a, an enigma in that sense. Um, but definitely in terms of my coaching, Embracing chaos and uncertainty doesn't bother me. But again, that's because of the support that I've got previous and the learnings that I've talked about. 
but also that the worst that can happen is session's not going to go well. But I always find with chaos comes meaning. You know, so chaos would definitely be my superpower. Brilliant, good stuff. So, well, you you sort of taken us nicely into into talking a little about about that webinar that you facilitated with Richard. Uh, a few weeks back um, for us. So within the webinar, you described and you, you had on screen a play and sport continuum. And from memory, you were talking about like this was a big focus of, of your research. So could you talk us through that a little bit? I know it's, it's quite hard when you're doing audio rather than having something on screen to show, but talk us through the, the play continuum a little bit. And, and what, is, what will that mean for people who are, who are for me on a Sunday morning uh, with the three and four year olds? So this is this is kind of um, similar to Michael. You know, Michael started PhD and how things can change so quickly. Um, so the Facebook continuum is more um, in the back of my head. It's not so much going to be in part of my research, but it is an overarching element for me now. And it was going to be in my research, but now it isn't. Now the reason for that is again because the project outputs um, that I'm having in terms of the framework is more important. But the reason that it's the continuum is an overarching uh, element in my own head now is it was adopted as, um, from the pedagogic, pedagogical play framework from um, Edwards et al. in 2017. And it's a child-led independent thinking. So there's the element of independence, but about discovery, um, about making sure the child is safe but letting them play, letting them at it, not being, not hovering over them, not asking them questions, let them at it, just watch, observe them, make sure not, make sure they're not punching the head of each other um, or not trying to climb a tree and jump off it. Just make sure they're safe, but again, watch from a distance. And those, the Channel 4 program of children and um, watching them in, on a camera and what they can do. When adults aren't there, children are playing the whole time and the more complex uh, their plays seems to be more enjoyable for them. Um, but again, it's all about independent learning and thinking and discovery. The second element then would be um, the sustained thinking and doing. So, um, Deb Vygotsky, the th play, play theorist, discussed the zone of proximal development, um, which is the ideal section for learning, um, that it's collaborative, um, it is the coach. And the child working together but because a lot of it was education based it was the teacher and the coach working together so again it's uh, asking questions asking them what they're doing why are they doing it how are they doing it not telling them but again trying to get what their learnings are and why they're doing some so that the teacher or the coach can learn for themselves um, but also learning how what the child is thinking or, you know having one of the things that parents would have said to us is have a go again have a go and you will know but also show me and the good thing about this is with adults again Simon and Michael if I both give you a ball and I ask you show me what you can do both of you are going to do things that you're able to do um, you're not going to do anything that's extremely difficult because you want to look good it's the same with five four five and six year olds now depending on what they can do it'll it'll obviously deviate from what you might have in your head about what they can do. But that's that zone of proximal development and that working together with the child is vital because that show me, and I do it all the time, 
is gives me an idea of when I'm observing, I'm saying, oh, Simon, I'm thinking about handling today, but Simon is kicking. Mm. Hasn't thought about handling because I haven't asked him. All he's done is show me. So I know down the line when we do kicking that Simon is dribbling or he's passing or he's kicking with the inside or he's kicking with his laces. But Michael is running, throwing, catching, bouncing, kicking, so on. Um, hitting with his hand, using his hand as a bat. So again, that allows me to think, oh, okay, I'm going to challenge Michael. I'm going to challenge Simon. But for others, it might be, they might be just holding the ball. And my challenge would be go over and try and knock it out of their hands. But can they hold on to it tight? So can they make that decision? Well, I don't want to lose my ball. So when Coach Owen comes over, hits it out of my hands, am I, is that going to happen a second time? And nine times out of ten, it doesn't. They go and pick it up, and they squeeze it as tight as they can. That's what I want. I want that learning and that decision-making. But again, I'm not asking them to do that. I'm doing it just to see what happens. <laughs> so again, it is child-led and coach-led. But then, as, as I go older, or again, when I get to know the children more, or the players more, or the person more, it will then be more purposeful in terms of what their needs are. So in terms of playing the sport, in terms of the session that I have in my head, I might ask them to do a specific thing or say, why don't you try this? See what happens. However, that can be difficult as well because that's me imparting my um, learnings on them and what I want. But I need to make sure that I ask them what they want. So their needs and wants are very different. Their wants the child's wants or the player's wants are, could be completely different to their needs in terms of the sport or that session. But asking the question is extremely important. Um, you're building up the social element of communication, um, speech and language, cognitive, but then also the physical development. Um, that uh, kind of goes then on to in terms of scaffolding. So it's very much like Super Mario Brothers. Um, so you start level one, you move up through the levels, and it gets more difficult as you move up through the levels. But there's mistakes along the way. You'll get to level three, and then you don't pass level three, you don't get past the big boss. So you're stuck in level three for about three weeks. But then, bang, something happens, and then you move on to level four. And that's how very much how I would see coaching, especially with children and with adults, it's patience. Um, it's complete organized chaos. There's no linear movement from A to B. It's three steps forward to go one step back sometimes. Um, but again, having those elements of bringing it back to make it easier, even bringing it back three steps so that they can move on those couple of steps. And we would have got that a lot from Terence and from my colleagues at also GA. But, um, that scaffolding is very prominent in my research in terms of obviously I've talked about Lev Vygotsky, the zone of proximal development and that scaffolding element reflection, sense-making is very much um, part of my research. And again, it's having kind of just done loads of readings in terms of what I wanted, but also in terms of where I see my research going. Now that is completely different to where it might go. <laughs> and I'm fully prepared for that. But Owen, see, see when you're talking sense-making there, because that, that has become quite a uh i suppose quite a buzz phrase within coaching with coaches who are going away going to some sort of a learning experience or delivering some coaching but then uh, you know making sense of it and, and maybe sitting together have a conversation when you're talking about sense making there are you talking about the children making sense of what they're doing 
Yeah, so both, um, so sense making, I haven't heard of sense making until it's heard me Prof. Um, and it's one of our taught modules on the, um, on the Doc Prof at Leeds Beckett, um, Bob Muir um, looks after. And I know that the two of you know Bob and um, have uh, heard him talk and he's, he's a genius in terms of reflections and sense making in terms of his coach development experience, his research experience. But again, he's very much um, to the core of listening um, for yourself. But also, if I'm trying to make sense of what you're telling me, Simon, then again, I'm not listening to respond. I'm listening to understand. So understand where you might be coming from. But again, that's my sense making for what you're talking about. And it's the same with children. When I ask a child a question, they're making sense of it in their heads in terms of what they're thinking. Um, and again, if, if that trust hasn't been built up, they mightn't give me an answer at all. But if the answer that they give, um, they trust me. So them making sense of what they're doing is going to help me in terms of how I can make the session more meaningful for them, make it more enjoyable, but also make sure that they're learning something. And again, it doesn't, some of their learnings doesn't have to be with the actual technical or tactical element of the game. Sometimes it's a social thing because they might have had a fight during the session and their learnings at the end is about respect and, and about staying calm, but also that you don't lash out. So that could be their learning. Um, but again, it's about, I feel it's about making sense of what I'm thinking and doing. And again, my own reflections on that, what questions I ask myself, why am I doing this? How am I gonna do it during the session and what am I gonna do? And again, I have a plan in my head. I write it down in my notebook, but I never get through it. And if you are going through your session A, B, C, D, and you are going through it and it works and you do it, that's great, fair, fair play to you, brilliant. But that's not coaching. Coaching is chaos and what you have planned um, is uh, and activities and games, you might get through them all. You might only do one of the game because they love it so much, but there are loads happening in the game, tactically, technically, um, they're helping each other out, they're um, asking questions at halftime. Um, one of the coaches at Rockland would have done this a lot. Um, David Fisher's name is, and Niall McKenna would have done it as well with the under 10s. Um, and they did it once in CYC, and CYC is kind of the uh, underage tournament um, for all of America, all Gaelic games come. And at halftime, he said, listen, you decide what happens. You ask each other the questions. You figure out what went well and what we need to do better in the second half. And they walked away and they let the lads out. Sergio does it a lot in terms of his own players. Steve Kerr has done it as well. The Golden State Warriors, giving them that ownership and that responsibility is huge. And they're making sense of what's happening. You know, it, it's putting them under pressure, yes. It's challenging them. But again that trust and that environment that you're building, that culture is so important. And that reflection and making sense of things is vital for their own cognitive learning and social and emotional, as well as speech and language communication. Do you think, do you think Owen, just to finish, finish off on this point before I hand over to Michael, but do you think that we, based on what you're saying there, do you think as coaches, we tend to underestimate what, children of an age are capable of because 
that um what we're asking of them there is is a little bit further than i suppose many coaches would maybe give um the kids credit for it gets a human right for children to play article 31 of the un um, conference of the rights of the committee of the rights of the child but also article 12 talks about uh, the child's voice and being heard so asking the child a question and again you're trusting them you're getting their opinion um there's a great quote unicef and um, i came across it a couple of months ago when it's something kind of it's always in my head and um, 2011, they say experience shows that children, even uh, very young, given time and opportunity, demonstrate not only that they have views, experiences, and perspectives to express, but that their expression can contribute positively to the decisions that affect the realization of their rights and well being. And basically, all I get from that is kind of seek out and act upon their voice. Um, children, like, they want different things. and. Um, at different times and at different ages, their needs and wants are completely different. But they deserve to be heard. It's a human right, again, as I talked about. So you know, ask them the question. Don't be afraid of the answer that you're getting back. If you're getting back an answer that you don't want, well, rephrase your question. Or get them to tell you. And this is the reason kind of why I enjoy taking under sixes and adults, is children have no filter whatsoever. Whatsoever. They'll not be long telling you if they did not enjoy the session. They're not being not, not be long telling you if they're bored. Um, 16, 17 year olds might be a little bit different. Um, adults, I very much am an advocate for adults questioning what I'm doing because I'm like that. When I was younger, I was like the Mindy out of Animaniacs. Um, so do you remember her? Why? Asking anything why? Why do we do this? So if you ask me a question, why? 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 Okay, I love you. Bye-bye. So again, asking that question always um, emphasizes, okay, well, I want to learn, that's great. But again, don't be afraid of the answer that you're gonna get back, but ask the question. Um, ask them are they enjoying it. Do not be long telling you. Ask them one thing that they're doing well. Ask them one thing that they're improving on and get them to observe each other. And I've done it with four-year-olds. I've got Michael, Michael, Michael is a little bit difficult in class. You know, his listening wouldn't be great. However, I want Michael to focus. So Michael is in group three, and to make Michael focus, I think, Michael, watch Simon. When Simon's playing, watch Simon, watch what he's doing. And can you see one thing he's doing well and one thing that you would want him to do better? Now, Michael mightn't be able to give me an answer after that, but I will keep an eye on him, and he's watching. You know, he might be a little bit shy. However, if he's challenging in class, nine times out of ten, he's not shy, so it'll not be long time. Um, but again, trusting the child, you know, trusting the person in front of you, and ask them the question. Don't be afraid of the answer that you're going to get back. We're just wondering how you got access to Michael's school report. That's... <laughs> yeah, you're, you're bringing me back. Um, <laughs> my school report and my uh, love for the Animaniacs in the, in the early 90s. <laughs> um, what, one of the things, and this is a bit of a broad statement, then I'd be, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on Rowan. Um, is there a danger at the minute that in youth sport the coaches are becoming or currently are very prescriptive in terms of session design and we're maybe not seeing 
um, a child-led or a child-driven environment at times. What's your thoughts on that? So this is this is that again. It is difficult in terms of the context. So I have had groups of children in school with clubs that there has been very little play, um, very little giving them ownership because if I do, all hell breaks loose. So behaviour, motivations, they don't want to be there, they feel bored. Um, Michael and Simon are in the same group, but Michael and Simon don't get on. So that element of um, free play, and again, I say free play and speech marks, with children, and when there is play, there is rules. So they know that if they do hit, hit themselves, they're not supposed to do that hit each other they're not supposed to do that but again they learn from it that you can't do that again so there's social rules that they have um in terms of their own play but i think it's a case of and again this is my experience um and a little bit of the, the research as well has come out is the lack of confidence that coaches have in terms of giving the ownership to the players and to the athletes um, and again my being able to um, and enjoy and embracing chaos has only came from my own learnings and support that I've got from work from my clubs, from my teams. And I'm not afraid to have a go. However, there's coaches that that is extremely difficult for them and extremely challenging. And I'm not going to say that that is wrong. However, what I would ask them to do is have a go at it. Have a go at giving them ownership over to the child. And it's happened so many times with me, as I said before, that I haven't been able to do that. But there's been groups that I have had in school with clubs, with um, under sixes, especially that I could literally go to the, if I wanted to go to the staff or go home, eat dinner, come back, and they're still playing because of their behavior, because of their motivation. Um, it's just the group dynamic. It's the environment that they're in. That's great. However, that doesn't really happen. You very rarely get a group like that. Um, and some of the things that, you know, looking at coaches that are lacking in confidence for that is to give ownership to maybe another coach in their coaching team so that they're learning from each other. And again, the children and the players of the guinea pigs trying something out. Okay, well, I'll try that next week or I'll add on something. But one of the easiest aspects in terms of the structure would be, and again, we've got this from, um, and I've done it all the time with six with adults. I'll set the session up. I'll set the cones. Everything's color coordinated. That's great. I'll, I'll put them in groups. I never get them to pick their teams because you're on hiding enough. Don't do that. Coaches do not let the kids pick the teams or the adults even pick the teams because they'll just they'll pick the team to make a fool of you, guaranteed. So you pick the teams. Um, but when I put them into their groups for their activity, um, I'll say, okay. This is, the, this is the grid, these are the cones. You're not allowed to move the cones, but I want you to make up a game and activity with your team. You, you have to use the ball. If you use the cones, that's great, it doesn't matter. Now, that element then, you're getting them to think about, oh, what can we do? So if a group of four goes, Michael, you were first in the group, so you go first, Michael. Sam goes second, Owen goes third, and Terence goes fourth. However, Michael has a little bit less confidence than Simon. Michael doesn't want to go first because he doesn't want to make himself. He 
be afraid of the other three boys or girls laughing at him. So then I say, okay, well, that's fine. So Simon, you go first. And then Simon makes up a game and activity. A second go is you now, Michael, after two minutes. And what you have to do then, Michael, is you can change a rule for the game or you can do a completely new game. But everybody has to play your activity and game. The third one is Owen. The fourth one is Terence. And then the more I get to know them, I'll put a theme in. So I'll say, listen, here's your activity. I don't care what you do. You have to use your feet. So you'll be getting dribbling, passing, kick passing, whatever it is, out of your hands, whatever it is. And then one group, chances are, will do what's in your head. Um, so then you go, oh, oh, I'm going to watch this group over here. Can we all do this game? And then we'll go back to, can we all do this game? So then they're getting rewarded for their ideas. And then the last one is complete organized chaos. Four cones, a ball, a hoop, whatever you give them, group of four, hey lads, and or girls, here you go. Have a go at your game. All I ask is that you be careful, be safe, but everybody plays. You all play together. So you might have 3v1, you might have 4v0, you might have 2v2. That's up to them. And then you can be more purposeful in terms of what your session is because you've given them an opportunity to have a go at something. And then it gives you an idea, oh, Maybe my theme today is a little bit hard, so I'll just move things a little bit back or move things up. Um, but again, what I would say for coaches who are a little bit, have less confidence in terms of giving ownership to the session of the children, you set the game up, you set the activities, pick the teams, put them in their groups, and just ask them, here's your grid, stay inside your grid, whatever you want to do, but you cannot move anything. But you have to play. Everybody has to play together. And you'll see what they come up with. Um, and again, that can be difficult too, but getting to know your group is very important. Again, building that connection, that trust, that environment, um, that engagement, you know, and getting to know them, not only through the sport or through the activity, but ask them how school is going, ask them, you know, how things at home are, because you, know, you could be the best part of their week. And I always say, because you make sure you are the best part of their week, you're a safe environment. Um, it's enjoyable, it's engaging. And again, you want to make sure that they're um, learning. So they will not be long learning through that kind of a scenario. But again, that takes practice. But have a go at it. Have a go and try it out. Fantastic. That's taken us to the end of our sort of open-ended questions, if you like. Um, we, we haven't done this before, so you're, you're the first um, person on our podcast that's going to do the quickfire round. Um, we, we do have, I think Sam has four or five for you here, and I have four or five questions as well. Um, and we're just going to go through and just see what the first thing is that comes to your mind uh, when we throw these out here. So Sam, I'll pass over to you. Yeah, so we'll see. Some of these might be a word, hopefully, and some of them might, might you might need a sentence, but we'll, uh, we'll try and keep them as short as we can. So uh, with a magic wand, one spell you'd, catch, uh, you'd cast in coaching? Uh... This is, again, probably goes back to what I've done before. And I actually use Merlin from the Sword and the Stone um, and again, try new things, uh, challenge yourself because he talks about um, it's up to you how far you'll go. If you don't try, you'll never know. Um, so that would be probably my one spell. And again, very apt that it's actually Merlin. And I use Merlin in presentations. And the second one, probably along the lines, that would be Rapunzel. Um, she talks about uh, venture outside your comfort zone and the rewards are worth it. Brilliant. 
this might be the first podcast my daughter listens to now we've had that Rapunzel thrown in um, so one thing you'd tell the, your younger coach self hey keep things in perspective um, and <laughs> probably play, pay homage to Guns N' Roses um, so have patience <laughs> that'd be the biggest one whether it's under sixes or whether it's adults have patience and keep the actual person at the center of everything and keep that in perspective Brilliant. Good stuff. Uh, I could take a lesson from that. So uh, one thing, and I know this will be hard for you, but based on the last uh, 45 minutes, it'll be hard for you to narrow this down. One thing you love most about coaching? Um, again, I've talked about relationships. So getting to know people, having them learn and develop as players, but also myself as well. I love the learning aspect of it and meeting new people. And the influence that it can have on um, my players and the people, the children especially, like I can tell them the sky's green and they believe me. And they go, no, it's not, Coach Owen. I said, it is. It's green. It's not, Coach Owen. It is. I'm colorblind. The sky is green. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. Oh, it must be. So it's great. You can do whatever you want. But it's great crack. Um, really enjoyable. It's a vocation. And that's why I love coaching. Brilliant. Well, this is the last one for me. And this is the probably the most important one on the whole podcast based on our team at the, um, at the coaching team at Sport and I and their love for sports films. So which which one's your recommendation? Oh, God. Um, just one? Just one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's not fair. Uh, Space Jam, you have cool names, you have... You're cheating now. Ducks. I'm cheating um, <laughs> Oh, Field of Dreams. Uh, I'm going to go actually go for Rudy. Um, I watched Rudy for probably the fifth or sixth time a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was the wife's first time watching Rudy, and she really got into it and um, started crying, bawling her eyes and all this here stuff. So, so, yeah, I'd go for Rudy, but that's a really unfair question. That's, that's uh, below the belt, that one. That's a new one on me, so I will uh, have to check that one out. So, Michael? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Rudy. I, I will watch that this weekend uh, again for about the tenth time as well. Um, so, first one for me, funniest thing you have ever saw in a coaching session? Probably children, not maybe the funniest thing that I've seen, but funniest thing that I've heard. Um, and again, comes back to coaching children. I know they're not supposed to swear and curse, but when you hear a five-year-old or a four-year-old saying the F word or anything like that, it's hilarious. And they don't understand the context of it. Um, however, it happened It happened once in Rockland. It was absolutely hilarious. So trying not to laugh whenever I heard it and I brought him over and asked him, did he understand it? He said, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. And his father was literally coaching on the far side of the field with his sister in there in the girls group. And when I told the father, I was literally wetting myself laughing. But again, it was so cute. He didn't understand it. Um, the father obviously um, brought him in. Where he heard it, except Jen, it was from his older brother. But probably the funniest thing that I heard was that it's it's definitely always children, uh, what they come out with, what they say, um, how they how they take on information. Um, and again, the fact that everything is, uh, everything you say, that's it. So keep your eye on the ball. And they literally put their eye on the ball. 
you know, so that that language and how you kind of um, uh, go through the fog of that is very, very, uh, it's hilarious, but that's a really tough question as well. <laughs> um, we know what movie you want to watch now. If one, if you were going to read one sports book or you would recommend one sports book, which one would you recommend? Um, so classes, you know, a couple of times, conferences and podcasts. Um, and again, there's so many books. And it, maybe not so much um, coaching per se, but experiences. And I love films of books that are fact. I don't read fiction. Um, it just doesn't interest me because I love the story behind um, why something happened and what happened afterwards. Um, so Pep Guardiola is brilliant. I love reading all his books. And um, uh, probably the one that we'll go for will be The Energy Bus um, from John Gordon. Um, and again, you know, it's more about you yourself as a person um, and what principles, the principles that have came out from that story of The Energy Bus and what it's about. Um, but it can be used for coaching, for, um, your own family life, for business, for um, any type of conglomerate, anything at all. And I like that element. Um, and again, it goes back to sense making. It's what I'm getting out of it. But you may read a Michael and Simon, and you'll get something different. And that's what I like about that. Um, but again, that would be the one that I'd kind of go for if you're if you're putting me under pressure. And you seriously are putting me under pressure here. Now. No, absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's what the quick fire round was, was intended to do. Um, if you could attend any sporting event in history, what would it be? Uh, so people will know and um, you'll see in the background, I used to have my Liverpool poster in front of me. But now any podcast I do, people get to see it just there, which yeah. is great. I know Simon has his, has his uh, hands over his eyes. Apologise for all the Liverpool supporters who aren't out there. So it would also be any Champions League final, but being uh, being more holistic and um, more opening, um, it would probably be uh, the European Championships in 2016, but any World Cup apart from that. Yes, the European Championships 2016, because um, in Northern Ireland being in it, and the Republic as well, and just the whole camaraderie and um, meeting new people. And so that would be that would be great. I let you keep that bit in. I was going to have to cut it out if it was a little bit. And if, again, going back any any point in history, if you could have a face to face conversation with a coach, who would that coach be? Oh, uh, John Wooden. Um, yeah. So many. John Wooden definitely. Uh, club, obviously. <laughs> Um, I've been lucky to uh, meet Michael O'Neill. I know Michael's a stoke now, but um, had a had a real um, got an affinity with him when I did meet him, and again just his aura about him. Um, just a couple of podcasts that Graham Hunter did with him for the big interview, just in terms of uh, getting to know your players and creating that environment. Again, Jurgen Klopp's very similar, but um, definitely. John Wooden, Bill Belichick, there's so many, but yeah, John Wooden would be, would be mine. You, you keep cheating on these questions. I, I know. Well, Simon, uh, it was great to have Owen with us this afternoon, talking through his experiences and his thoughts around coaching. Was there anything that, that stood out for you in terms of our conversation with him this, uh, today? 
Yeah, there, there was, and I always enjoy chatting to him because he, he obviously he always brings a lot of energy to the conversation, a lot of enthusiasm for, yeah. for what he's chatting about, but also a, a great deal of uh, value within children's coaching. So uh, I think that always stands out when when, uh, when we're chatting to Owen. Um, I think two things really for me today were um, the child's opportunity. You know, what's the best opportunity for that child um, at that time or what could that opportunity lead to? And um, and a really positive intent, I suppose, for the child. That, that really stood out for me. He gave the example in, uh, when he was working with Rockland GAC in the USA about, well, actually, you know, we could have just got kids playing more Gaelic games, more kids playing more Gaelic games, but actually multi-sport approach is the right approach to take in this environment in particular because of other opportunities that it opens up um, around education and, and sort of the financial implications and things around that. So uh, I think he, he had real, uh, really good intentions with, with the children, uh, which I suppose is, is the absolute number one place you need to start with when you're coaching kids. Um, and then in terms of actually what he was doing for me when he's, he was talking about play, very much around individualizing your approach to coaching, knowing the kids that you're coaching, know, knowing who needs stretched a little bit no one who needs a little bit of a hand um, to, to make the next uh, step up through through a little bit more support um, and really being able to hand over control or elements of control and choice um, choice and voice and um, the kids and I think you made a really strong point around that as well yeah absolutely and that was something that I had picked up on as well and I really liked the example of um create the parameters uh, for the activity to take place in. So, um, you know, pick the teams, set up the grid, but ultimately give the child choice um, in terms of what that activity would be. And I thought that was a really useful way to look at it. I like the way he, he approached um, child development from the, the UN Human Rights Charter as well. Um, and I think that that's a really good starting point for, for any child development program. Um, and I also, in, in terms of learning, I'm always very interested in how your coaches on the podcast learn. And um, I really like that simulated environment where, um, as I mentioned, Terence at that time would have given them ver various situations or scenarios um, in, a, in an educational environment and see how they, they dealt with that. And, and obviously that stuck with him all these years um, as a really profound learning experience. Yeah. So um, yeah, some 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 excellent bits of conversation there throughout the the forty five minutes to an hour we have with them, um, guys. I hope you've enjoyed listening to, to uh, this episode um, and, and all the rest of the episodes that we've got. Um, I think this is our sixth now. We'll continue to keep developing the the podcast and, and bringing on guests that are really influencing coaching at the minute. Um, we we appreciate your listenership. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to bringing you another episode of the Curious Coaching Podcast next month. Be safe, be well. Thanks. Curious Coaching is brought to you by Sport Northern Ireland. We hope that this episode has sparked some curiosity for you and your coaching. The future belongs to the curious.